Welcome to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. Every week, I host live chats via our YouTube channel with leaders in the AFL and high-performance industries. Join me live every Sunday at 6pm where I debrief the recent chats and announce the upcoming guests. We drop an inspiring and educational episode every Monday. If you like the show, please follow us on your favourite podcast app. Hi, I'm your host, Jack McLean, and today my guest is Chris Carlisle author of Move or Die, Creating a Game Plan from Stuck to Significance. Chris is an experienced performance coach with a demonstrated history of working in the health, wellness, and fitness industry. Skilled in coaching, recruiting, record of success, motivational speaker, and leadership. He is a strong media and communication professional with a Master of Arts. Highlights from this episode, we discuss the importance of working out how strong is enough when working with team sport athletes, how to embrace chaos in your athletic development program, why learning how to work with development movement skills is critical in a developing high-performance football team, and discussing how important consistency is in developing trust with your athletes. Before we start this episode, to improve your strength and power and gain a competitive edge this preseason, make sure to hire a Prepare Like a Pro coach and join our individualized coaching package. Head to preparelikeapro.com and join our email list to receive a free masterclass. Let's get into today's episode with Chris Carlisle. Hope you enjoy. Welcome, Chris. Thanks for jumping on, mate. Hey, thanks for having me, Jack. And it's great to be on. I, I look forward to talking with you. 4 p.m. on a Sunday afternoon, you, you're committed to your, your craft. Thank you so much for, for jumping on. That's a tough window. <laughs> no, hey, hey, it's if you're a coach, it's seven days a week. You don't you don't have the ability or time or if it's a passion to go ahead and take days off. So when I had an opportunity to talk with you about coaching and about my book, I, you know, there was no doubt I was going to be here to do this because if I can push the idea of coaching on, on to others to help them understand a little bit more or how I did it. And I'm not saying I did it right. I did it my way. I did the way that I thought was the best way to do it. I, I was around a lot of success. And so I'd like to think I, I learned some things along the way that I like to pass on to to the coaches that I don't usually get to speak with. Yeah, right on. Gems from the first minute. There we go. We're straight into it, guys. Get the notebook out and and start taking notes because, yeah, this is going to be a, a great chat, particularly not just for strength and conditioning coaches and performance, those staff members working in high performance, but also for athletes. Because you mentioned off-air, Chris, before working in the industry as a coach, you're an athlete as well for over a decade. Yeah, yeah, I was for 13 years. I was in the game of football, and so American football. So, what, excuse me if I use the term football because that's the American side. I, I understand it means different things in different places, but to me, American football is American is football. So, when I use that terminology, please excuse me for my my <laughs> my, my small mindedness that I'm just thinking about the United States. But that's where I was brought up. So, so that's yeah. what I'll when I say football, I mean American football. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I think the Australian listeners will, will understand. I mean, typically we call right. football here footy, so we okay. should we sh- should be able to know the, the difference between. But yeah, we'll, we'll revolve majority of the chatter, of course, around American football, both as an athlete and predominantly around your strength and conditioning uh, impact in, in an industry that's tricky to to survive. And, and you did it for a long period of time. So it'd be great to, to work out how you've worked at the top for so long, but also uh, your entrepreneurial skills in writing a book and, and running your own business as well. But Take, take us back to the very beginning, mate. At what age did you discover you had a passion for strength and conditioning and working in high-performance sport? 
I, I think it comes to you. I, you know, I knew at the age of eight, we were playing football. My friend Nate Lau and I were playing football in the backyard. And I turned to Nate and I said, you know, I'm going to win the Super Bowl one day. Now, it took me 40 years to get there, but I did it. And I didn't know how I was going to do it. I didn't know if I was going to be the player or the football coach or even at that time, strength conditioning coaches were not around. That was, a, that was in the late 60s and early 70s when I started coming up in that way. So, so the passion to be a, a performance guy really came. It was an epiphany I had in 1997. I was at a junior college, which is a two-year school in the United States here, and we had just won the national championship. And we we're about to go to recruiting. And I love being with athletes all the time. And an epiphany came to me that maybe I wasn't a football coach. Maybe that being a performance guy was the way I wanted to go. Mm-hmm. And about that time, my old mentor who I'd worked with as a strength conditioning coach at the University of Arkansas, John Stuckey. Now, here's, here's a side now. You all need to go research John Stuckey, S-T-U-C-K-Y. All right. You won't have ever heard of him, but he is one of the one of the icons of strength conditioning. If you're an old school Ironhead, you know who John Stuckey is. John's two terms were humble and hungry. Okay, so you don't see John writing articles. You don't see him. Of course, it was during a time when there weren't podcasts and there weren't a lot of YouTube stuff that are out there. But John is the guy who really developed strength coaching the way it is in the United States. And I was lucky to work with him at the University of Arkansas. And then while I was at Trinity Valley, the junior college, he called me and said, and Stuck's voice was kind of grasping. He said, so are you done with that football stuff yet? And I said, yes, sir, I am. He said, come out to Tennessee. I need your help. So we went out to the University of Tennessee and so won the national championship in junior college in 97 and 98 and the University of Tennessee won the national championship in Division One. So I should have stopped my career right there. I was 25 and 0. On a wrong season. But I, I should have said, that's it. I, I've got to go write my book then. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, you know, that passion, it's a, it's a passion that you, you've got to step away from the limelight and because nobody sees what you do. You know, the, the, they see the, the outcome of what you do, the, the, the product of what you do, but nobody's there watching as, as being a performance person. Yeah. And so you've got to step away. You've got to eat that ego. And it's pretty simple for me because I never wanted to be the guy in front. I always wanted the guy in the back helping lift everybody up. And that's where my passion really stemmed from was being that guy, was the guy from behind the scenes who worked every day with the athletes. And, and you know, you look at what football coaches do, rugby coaches, you know, they're not with them all the times that performance people are. Mm-hmm. And so we develop a bond and a trust with these people to help them become who they want to become. And that's really my, my goal in life. And that's why I wrote the book is that I want to help people move to another position. I, I, I get so frustrated in life watching people who are so talented and they get stuck doing what they don't want to do. Mm. And so, you know, if, if, if you're in that situation and, and you want to be a performance coach, go do it. Go do it. And you're going, oh, no, I can't do it because I, I'm not making any money. I'm going to tell you a story. And I, I, know, I know, Jack, I've talked a lot, but I got a lot of stories here. Now we love stories. So my wife and I, I was, I was teaching at a high school, which is grades 10 through 12. The, the students are, what, 15 to 18 years old. And my wife had just opened a business, and we were living in her grandparents' house who had passed away. 
And so we were making okay money, teacher money. Her business was was doing well. And I got a call from the University of Arkansas, John Stuckey. And he asked me if I wanted to go become a graduate assistant. And that's to work on my master's degree. And so I said, well, sure. I didn't even ask what we were going to be paid. I ended up being paid $400 a month. Our rent was $450. And I was only paid 10 months of the year. All right. So I go from rent-free, having a job that, that, you know, I had three months off in the summer like teachers do. My wife had just opened her business. She sold the business. I left the job to make $400 a month for 10 months of the year. I was there for a year and a half to earn my master's degree. All right. That's how much I wanted to do that. That was a passion I had in becoming who I wanted to become. And if you're really passionate about what you want to do, nothing stands in your way. Hmm. You find a way to get where you want to be. And yeah, sometimes, you know, our, our favorite, that's some of our favorite time we laugh about. We couldn't wait for the two for one coupons to come out. You buy one dinner, get one free. We could eat out. I mean, we would open up cans, jars of, of spaghetti sauce and make garlic bread and dip it in. That's what we ate. And then I'd go to the cafeteria and I'd bring home food for us to eat, you know, for the rest of the time. And so, you know, the, you, you find a way to find a way if you're really mm-hmm. passionate about it. You know, in, in my book, I talk about Martina Navatrova, who said the difference between being committed and being part of is like ham and eggs. The chicken is part of it. The pig is committed. All right. Think about the, the, the eggs and chicken drops and walks away. The ham now, the ham, the pig, he's committed. He's part of it. You've got to give his life to do that. So if you want to become the best of whatever you want to become, whether it be a performance coach, a businessman, a athlete, you've got to give all you had. You've got to have a passion that burns inside. Mm, move or die, hey? There you go. You know, and yeah. that's, that's the truth. If you're not, it's, it's, it's genetically wired into us. And that you know, it was a study I, I found. Texas A&M University did a study about how long had we had this need to move in our system? And they went all the way back to prehistoric man when he came out of the river valleys and were chasing the, the animals across the steppes and the plains. And at that time, it became part of our genetic need to move. Mm-hmm. And so while I was writing the book, my father passed away. But on his last days, he had what was called terminal restlessness. And the hospice nurse said that, you know, it's the mind and the body still want to move. It still needs to move. Mm. Even though the body is dying, they still need to move. And so what, look at our, our, our society today, all the health problems we have, all the issues we have, the mental issues, because we stop moving. Mm. And I'm not talking physically so much. I'm talking about professionally and socially and physically, of course. But, but professionally, that's your chance to move, to go from where you're at to where you want to be. And that takes you to commit, to be passionate about, about what you want to do and say, hey, I'm going to go ahead all in and do it. So yeah, move or die. And that's where the book came from, is that as a, as a species, as a, as, as a bio- biological piece, we need to continue to move. If we stop moving, we die. Yeah. And, they, and you mentioned the challenge that no doubt would resonate with a lot of strength and conditioning coaches, high-performance staff listening in. Yeah. As you're forging your way into the industry, making a living and, and being able to survive while you're sort of sharpening your craft and, and developing your, your skills. That, that rent analogy, which no doubt a lot 
of, of guys that have done interns and, and part-time work and while you're doing your master's as well. How did you bridge that gap? Obviously, you save costs, and I think that's a really important thing right. to mention as well. Right. Well, my, but, my, wife, my wife got a job and it was work. Yeah, you know, so you she, did it as a team. She, she committed, yeah. yeah. And so that was, that was part of it. Yeah, and, then you, and also the success in universities, at college level before going into the, the pro sport, did that give you a lot of confidence in, in your craft? I think, uh, and I, uh, let me step back for just a minute and talk about my philosophy of training, which gave me all the, the confidence I needed. Uh-huh. Um, what I did as a football coach, and, and you look at the training methods of today and, and how they do things. And back when I was coming through in the 70s and 80s, it was all about how much, how much, how much. How much can you run? How much can you lift? How much can you, you know, push the person? And I looked at that. And, and in order to be successful, you can't be on the same road with everybody else. Mm. All right? You can't. Because you're just remaking what everybody else is doing. You know, so you've got to go ahead and stylize your training program off of what you understand. So what I did, I looked at the training and I looked at what football was about. And I, and I just broke it down to the lowest common denominator. And I can use rugby also. So I have the athletes on one side, the athletes on the other. And when the ball is kicked, what one thing do they have all in common? Jack, when the ball is kicked in the beginning of the game, what well, two things have, do both teams have in common? Well, they all, both have an opportunity to have an opportunity to win the ball. Probably well, a little bit harder no, for the no, for the team that's they all move. It. I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, they all move. Think about well, you're going, yeah, oh, of course. But if that's the lowest common denominator, if my team moves better than your team, how much chance do I have to win? That how how my chances to win improved. Mm. Well, quite a Absolutely. bit, you know, yeah. if you look at the NFL combine, which is our, when we take the college players and test them, just all those are movement skills. We're not seeing if they can play football at all. We're judging on how well they move. So if you go ahead and break down your sport, I don't care if it's rugby. I don't care if it's Australian rules football. I don't care if it's soccer. I don't care what sport you're talking about, basketball, baseball, those who move better will have a chance to be more successful. We call those people athletes. So, Jack, if I had, if I had uh, 11 people on my team, you had 11, but I had 11 better athletes, who had an upper hand? Well, I did because I had better athletes. Why were they better athletes? Because they moved more efficiently than your athletes. Mm-hmm. Well, if you can't recruit athletes, how are you going to develop your athletes? Well, you're going to teach them how to move. And so you're going to look at the game. You're going to dissemble the game. And, and then you're going to look at it and say, how do I teach my guys to move better? And so you're going to take down the sport and you're going to do all your movement drills that you're going to ask them to do on the field. And so when they do that over and over and over and over and over again, all of a sudden they do without having to think. When they're not having to think, they live in what's called in a loop, okay? Observe, decide, act, all right? And so what happens is their loop is a lot tighter than those people who haven't trained at that. And this all comes from a guy named John Boyd, and he was a fighter pilot. Robert Karam wrote a book called Boyd, and it was about his theory of how, how to make better fighter pilots. And I took all those theories and brought them to training, and it was about training 
your athlete to work better in chaos. Mm-hmm. Just think about a, a rugby scrum. It's chaos. All right. Think about the match when, when, when they're moving the ball. It's all chaos of people moving. But if your guys move better in that chaos, then they move inside the loop of your opponent. And when they move inside that loop, then you are working faster and quicker than they are. And that's when big plays will happen. And I don't care what sport. I broke it down, you know, for all the sports I've worked with and the success we've had is because our athletes moved better. They didn't have to be bigger. They didn't have to be stronger. Because if you look at training, training is speed, agility, power, endurance, and strength. Mm. Those five keys, speed, agility, power, endurance, and strength. Right. How much time do you spend on strength in your regular training? What percent would you say? Out of all your strength and conditioning, maybe? It's just a regular session. 50%? Speed, agility, power, endurance, and strength. So if I give strength 20% of the time that it needs, Mm. I then get 80% of my workout to work on what I need, speed, agility, power, and endurance. And strength being squatting, pressing, bicep, tricep, just the manual strength work. Mm. So 20%. So if I had a hour and 40 minutes, a hundred minute work period, 60 of those minutes would be spent in movement. All right. 40 would be spent in, in, in the weight room in which about 15 out of in strength and the rest would be with Olympic lifts working my power aspect. Mm-hmm. All right. And so that's, you know, to, you know, most people go 50, 50, but you're working that whole strength aspect to, to too much. We would play a team like the university of Michigan and they would have 10, 12 guys that could bench press 500 pounds. All right. And that goes to how many kilos, whatever that is. Nearly two, used to know. 30, 230 kilos. Okay. Roughly. So, so, so 230 right. kilos. Okay. Yeah. And, and I had, I had five my whole career in nine years. Because it wasn't a big deal to me. We needed to become strong enough to win at the line of scrimmage. You need to become strong enough to stalemate that scrum. Okay? Mm. Anything more than that is wasted baggage that you're going to carry onto the field with you. Mm. So how strong do I need to be to be there? And I found if my guys were benching my big guys anywhere between 400 and 450 pounds, then we were okay. We didn't have to go. It takes so much time to bench press 500 pounds. It takes so much time to squat 600 pounds. Mm. All right. It takes so much time to power clean over 300 pounds. So if you use all that time that you're training extraneous work that you're never going to use and start using that time to work on the athleticism of your athletes, then you become a better athlete. Your athletes then move better. If your athletes move better, what happens to your team? Better football team. You're a better football team all the way around. They mm. move better. They change direction better. They're better conditioned. All right. But you don't need to have all this, uh, all these big numbers. You just have to be strong enough. And 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 for rugby, you need to figure that with, with that out. I knew what mine was for football. How did you find okay, that? You need uh, because you I was in football that? my whole life. Yeah. So it's sort of gut, so I gut, watched uh, and I found those guys who were strong enough. Yeah. All right. And so, great story. Cedric, first round race for the New Orleans Saints. Cedric was a junior. 
And so Cedric goes down and benches and gets 500 touches and comes back up and presses in 500 pounds. All right. Next year. Now, as a junior, he was an All-American, which he was one of the top 22 best defensive football players in America. So we, we're getting ready for his senior year. And he puts 510 on the bar and he hits 510. He goes, Coach C, where should I go now? I said, you should go home. He goes, no, no, I can go to 520. I can go to 540. Yeah, he could. But what would happen to Cedric and the football team if trying to get that elevated number, he tore a peck? Mm. All right. Then he's done for the year. Now, Cedric came from a hard, from Chino, California. You know, there, there's a prison there and it's a tough place to live. Mm. And Cedric became a first round draft choice and an instant millionaire because we didn't see how, how strong he could be. But he was strong enough to play at the highest level. Now, like I said, he was one of my five. I have a bunch of All-American first-round draft choices that never benched more than 400 pounds. All right? So we were strong enough to play, but they moved better than everybody around them. And that's what made them different. Mm. And that's, that, that's what I'm telling right now. If, if you want to pick up something from me today, first of all, the Amazon.com, buy the book. All right? None of the training's in there, okay? <laughs> but... Second thing you'd pick up is train your athletes to move more efficiently. Now, around speed, agility, power, and endurance, and strength, all around that is the most important thing, flexibility, mobility, and stability. Because if you gain all this speed, agility, power, and endurance, and you don't have flexibility, you don't have mobility, and you don't have stability, then your athletes can't move. Because those are the little things. That's like watching a Formula One driver, okay? And all those cars are supposed to be the same, but there's those little tweaks they put in the suspension, all right, that allows them to drive a little bit better. You know, that's, that's, that's who won the race today in Brussels. He, he started in 14th. He was Red Bull. Anyway, he started in 14th, play, came out and ran away from the race because, because he, he had a better car and he was a better driver and he lived in the chaos. You know, you can take it anywhere. I don't care if you're, you're like I said, any sport we want to talk about. And you talk about life. Mm. Find out what you do best in life. In my books, I talk about I talk about understanding your what. All right. And Jack, if we we had time, we could sit here and, and talk over a couple of beers. We would talk about what you are better at than everybody else. Because God gifts everybody with something that they can do a little bit better than everybody else. My analogy for that were crayons. All right. And and when I was growing up. I got the eight pack of crayons. They were big, thick crayons because I, I've got big, big hands. And I was, I was, a, I was a grinder. I was a guy. Yeah, well, here's what a grinder: grinder doesn't think enough is ever enough. You know, so we just push and push and push and push until we get more and get the best out of everybody. And so I was a grinder. So I understood what I was. I was loyal. I was a grinder. I was a motivator. I, w- I was, I was a relentless worker. I persevered, you know, and and I I had eight traits I really understood. Here's what bothers me, Jack, is when I sat there as a little kid and I looked at the desk next to me and this person had the 120 box and had the the crayon sharpener in the back, right? And I look at their crayons and they didn't touch half of them. And that's the thing that bothers me most in my whole career. Those athletes, those people who had the ability to do more didn't do it. They left crayons in the box. My crayons, my eight that I had, were mm. all used up. They were broken. They were just shrapnel of crayons by the end of the semester. 
because I use every one of my talents. All right. And you have to go, you have to dive deep into that, into yourself. What are you great at? What do you do better than everybody else? That's what you've got to find. And for me, it was being a strength coach because I could motivate people. And this is the Tom Coughlin. I can, I can motivate people to do what they don't want to do so they can become what they want to become. All right. And so, you know, it was one of those things I was able to help them get on that path and help them understand. Now, and this is, this is a coaching idea right here. You know, and your, your, your question is, well, how do you do that? How do you get people to do that? It, it, there's a simple word, trust. They have to trust you. All right. How do you get trust? Your consistency. I was, I was the same person all the time when I was working with my athletes. Jack, I was so much the same. I dressed the same <laughs> every day. All right. I had a blue pullover. I had a gray shirt under it. I had blue shorts and I had blue shoes. If I got new shoes, the players would see it because they could tell that I was wearing and that. But but what I wanted them to see when they walked in, they saw the same picture every day. What that does to an athlete is allows them to relax. And then go ahead and become committed to you because you're going to be the same person. I'm not a yeller. And I got a great story. It's in the book. And, and if we get to it, we get to it. If not, but I, I, I stopped being a yeller in 1992 after I had the chicken house fan split my head open, crush my skull, tear the brain sack and knock parts of my, my, my skull into my brain. Okay. And the doctor said, you can't yell. And it changed my life. It, it changed my life because if I yelled, intracranial pressure would build up and it would kill me. So I, I weighed that I could yell and die or I could learn how to coach. All right. So before the accident, my win loss record, I was 39, 77 and one 39 wins, 77 losses and one tie. I was winning at a 0.33 rate. If you hired me, you could be assured of winning three games every season. That's not good. All right. <laughs> Which club in Australia, in New Zealand, in wherever we're talking to, wants somebody who can win three games for them? Well, nobody. All right. Nobody. All right. <laughs> no one. After, after the accident, after the accident, my record's gone 249, 87, and one, 74% win. I can, I can bring to you 11 wins every season. All right. Think about that. I went from three wins to 11. Nearly four times more successful. All right. Why? Because I learned not to be a bully, but to be a teacher. I'm going to step up on my pulpit here, okay, just for a second. It is Sunday here in the United States, so I can do this. But I believe that God tries to keep you on the straight and narrow, and he'll keep nudging you down your path. And when you don't follow that path, which I wasn't doing, he'll take that newspaper, roll it up, and hit you across the nose. In my case, he had to use a chicken house fan, an industrial chicken house fan, to split my head open to help me understand that it wasn't about yelling. It's about getting their trust, being that same consistent person. You find routines. You treat them all as individuals. Not the same. You treat them as individuals. And that's all about gaining trust. When your athletes trust you, you can do anything you want to help them achieve their dreams. 
But if your athletes aren't following your path, if they're not following your way, if they're distracted and they don't want to do it, they don't trust you. So find a way to get them to trust you. When they trust you, they'll buy into anything you need them to do. For the coaches listening in, you touched on, you've touched on chaos a few times and how effective it is to embrace chaos in training. What does that look like with your agility drills and your field-based speed work? Right. You continue to move them at speeds of game speeds and you, you replicate what they're going to do on the field. Mm. And so when you do it at game speed and then their mind gets to work at that speed, what happens too much is we get into this whole protect the athlete thing. Okay. And, and so, and I use our, our NBA. So the athletes today are, are, you know, they're taking their rest days and they're not playing and, and stuff like that. Wilt Chamberlain in the year that he averaged 50 points a game missed eight minutes of the whole season that he didn't play. He averaged 50 points in one game. He scored a hundred points and that was Wilt Chamberlain. All right. And today's athletes, which are better conditioned, better taken care of, better, better nutrition. They travel in jet planes, not on buses like they did with Wilt Chamberlain sixties. All right. These guys have to have days off. All right. What happens is we start treating these guys like prima donnas and we stop callousing them. And callousing comes from a, a term that John Harbaugh, the head football coach for the, the uh, Baltimore, uh, the, I think Baltimore Ravens said, he said, athletes need to be calloused, which means they need to learn how to work and their bodies need to learn how to change direction. They need to work under hard conditions. They need to work in the chaos. Now, what happens is when we start training them lighter and giving them more time and, and walkthroughs, you're not helping them, all right? They're, they're human beings. Of course, they're saying, oh, yeah, I feel a lot better. American football, we have more soft tissue injuries. We have more major knee injuries now because the athletes have not been practiced and trained to the extent that they need to, so they can practice. I use, for example, University of Alabama in the uh, SEC championship game, had a wide receiver tear his ACL in space. He was cutting, tore it in space. The next game, the national championship game, tore an ACL in space. All right. No, no contact, nobody around, change direction, something you've done, tore an ACL, two wide receivers. All right. And I go back to the whole thing that if we're not training our athletes at a, at a high enough rate that they're not used to the cutting and change of direction, especially when they're tired, then we're not doing them justice. We're not doing them. We're not doing them the service that we need to as strength coach. And I know I've got about 99% of the sports science people turning this off right now. I'm sorry about that, Jack. All right. But no, I've, no, I've I, seen think this. I think there's definitely a shift. It, in, in, if, if we look at this, in the thought. everybody wants to look at a computer and a GPS. What does that information tell us? Well, it tells us what they did today. It doesn't tell us about tomorrow. All right. Here's how I found out, figured out how to do it. This part of the trust thing. When the athlete walks in, I go, how are you doing? I look him in the eye, I touch his elbow. How are you doing? Nothing offensive about that. They look at me and go, I'm good. How'd you sleep last night? Man, you know, my wife's pregnant. She's going to have a baby. Yeah, I didn't get much sleep. Okay, there goes a bell in my head. I bet he hasn't had fluids since maybe he left the facility yesterday at 5 o'clock because he's been caring for his wife who's pregnant. He's about ready to have a baby. Didn't sleep well. There we go. Now, now 
Uh, there's no computer. There's no GPS telling me this, but it took a human to ask another human, how are you doing? To find out how this is doing. A guy who, you know, lost his dog, who, who's, you know, a, a guy who doesn't feel very well. A guy coming in after a game, doesn't want to go to the training room because they'll, you know, they'll not let them work. And so you go through the process of getting them through the process and then you get them to where they need to get help. But that comes to trust. Like I talked about working with athletes, getting the most out of them is when they trust you to do for them what they want to be done. Hey there, hope you're enjoying this episode with Chris Carlisle. We're just going to take a quick break to hear a snippet from our interview with Joel Hocking. You've worked with a lot of the, uh, you know, the high-level caliber athletes and being a, uh, an athlete yourself, what, what do you think are some strong traits for developing footballers to, to um, get in the habit of doing it at a young age? Oh, I, th- well, I think clearly, like, if you're going to get good at anything, you've got to be consistent with how you train. Um, yeah. Training for speed and getting your mechanics um, tidy um, is a really important one. Um, if all footballers are going to get fit, no matter where they started a football club, they're going to get fitter, no question. Um, not burning yourself out before you even get to that stage is really important. So um, once again, learning all the speed, um, having a schedule that allows you to do things with really good quality. You've got to work hard, no question, but have a schedule that allows you to get the results you need. So let, let's not um, try and do you know, a you know, 10K intermittent running session and then do high-speed stuff at the end of it because it's yep. really risky. To hear more from Joel, make sure to scroll to episode 73 on the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. Now back to the rest of the episode with Chris Carlisle. Thank you for listening. Hope you enjoy. Looking back on on the highlights of your career, Chris, what are some that spring front of mind that you're most proud of? You know, yeah, I think it's relationships I have with my athletes. You know, I could talk about wins and all that stuff. It's, you know, I've got, I've got a box full of rings. And I've got trophies and stuff like that. But the thing that really, the thing I really loved was the, uh, the the work I did with the athlete. You know, game days for me were, you know, I was a get back coach. I was keeping coaches off the field. You know, my work was done on game day. I'd stretch them and we'd go through the process. And then game day, you kind of stand there and walk. I couldn't wait to get back in the gym on Monday because I could work with them again. And that's, you know, that's when I moved away from, from being a sport coach, being a football coach and becoming a strength conditioning coach or a performance coach. So it's, it's, you know, it's the, it's the, the relationships you have with the athletes. That's, that's what you're going to remember. You're not going to remember the, you know, I, I remember losses and this is really, really what drove me out of coaching was I remembered losses more than I remember the wins. All right. And, you know, fortunately I didn't have many losses, but you know, the ones I did, you know, they, they, they haunt me. You know, and so the wins, you know, I, I expect to win everything I do. And that's just, I don't know, that's not, I don't think it's arrogance. I think it's confidence because I understood how to train athletes to perform and how to prepare and, and uh, play at their highest ability. And so when you lost, that was a big surprise to me. So, you know, when, when you have that attitude, when you get that, that belief in, in yourself and the, and, the, and the players believe in it also, you're unstoppable. And touching on the Super Bowl for, for a second, you mentioned okay. as an eight, eight-year-old, it was a vision mm-hmm. and it, it's something that you wanted to achieve. What did yep. it take that year? Did you, was there a moment throughout the year where you thought this, this is going to happen or was it, was it not until the day where you're in that situation and, and the team won? No, I, I, I think we, I, you know, we, had a, we had a really good team. 
And, you know, really, really good defense. The young quarterback, Russell Wilson, it was in his second year, you know, and that guy can exude confidence. When when Russell came in as a, friend, as a rookie in 2012, we talked and he said, Coach C, I'm going to be the starting quarterback this year. And I said, I said, I don't have a dog in the hunt. And so I, I want the best person to play. I'm going to train you all the same. And so the first day I worked and we had two veteran quarterbacks. And one was highly paid. One was, you know, just a kind of a journeyman. And then there was the rookie. And so I had two options for the quarterbacks on their workouts. And one was a leg press and one was back squat. The two veterans went to the leg press and the rookie got on the back squats. I said, oh, okay, I know who this kid is now. You know, and he got in there, did his back squats. And, and, uh, but the first day I saw Russell spin the ball when he threw the ball, that ball would just, I mean, it would screw itself into the player's hands when they caught it. He was amazing. Then the next year, the year we won the Super Bowl, he sat in front of me and said, Coach, see, I'm going to take this team to the Super Bowl and we're going to win. Yeah, wow. And we did. And, that, and that's just Russell Wilson. That's, you know, but that's a confidence he had in himself. That's a confidence that you need if you want to be successful is you need to go ahead and speak your truth so that people can then hold you to it. Now, you know, if you're a braggadocious person where you're just going to spout out a bunch of stuff that's not right, but when you really feel it and you know you're ready for it, you know, that's what happens. Now, the Super Bowl, here, here's what I remember from the Super Bowl. So we won. All right. The next day, 12 hours, well, after the party and everything, you know, less than 12 hours after we'd won, I was sitting on the tarmac and getting ready to fly back to Seattle from New York. And I was doing my training program, finishing it up because we, my staff and I had worked through it all the way during the season. And the training program didn't start till April. And this was February. Now, remember when I said I had just accomplished the greatest goal of my life to win a Super Bowl. And here I am less than 12 hours later working on the offseason program in February that wasn't due until April. So right there, I sat back and I looked around and I understood finally that I wasn't in this profession to win. I was in this profession that football was a vehicle for me to help other people accomplish their dreams and goals. Mm. All right. And that's what the, the Super Bowl in 2013 meant for me. It was an epiphany. It was a turning point where I looked at it that I was working on the training. Pro- we had just won. I didn't even stop to enjoy the moment, you know, for, for a month or a week or, a, you know, not even 24 hours that I was already working on the next season. Now we went to the Super Bowl again. We got beat, but we went to the Super Bowl back-to-back years. And so, you know, it was one of those things that, that it was about me. And so after a while, I started thinking, you know, I only get to speak to about 100 people that are on the team, you know, 67 guys and then the coaches and, and staff. And I can go out and speak and write a book and, and thousands of people can read, you know, the book. And, you know, I speak to people around the country about, you know, pushing yourself to that place where you don't believe you can be. And I think we need more coaches and, and, and less psychologists out there talking about it. There's some great self-help books out there. But if you read those self-help books, it's not the author saying, this is how I did it. This is, here, here are the problems that I ran into. These are the things you need to watch out for. And here's how you can overcome that stuff. No, they're using other people's stories and they're using a lot of psychological issues that really don't work in. My, my son is right now doing an internship, not getting paid at Arizona State University with a football team. And he's in the weight room. All right. 
and he's sitting in these sports science classes, and they're talking about things that are not true, that he already knows aren't true. But these professors in the classroom have never been out of the classroom. They've never worked with a team. They've never worked with an athlete. All they understand is what they've read in other people's books, other people's journals, other people's magazine articles. So if that's all we're living off of, that's where our knowledge bank comes from, we're in trouble. So here's what you need to do, coaches. You need to get out and start watching athletes move Mm -hmm. and understand what it looks like when it's right, understand what it looks like when it's wrong, all right? Understand fundamentals, understand technique. If you understand great technique, and my, my teaching hierarchy was how to, how fast, how much. The last thing I worried about was how much they lifted. The most important thing was how to, once technique broke down, then the, the, the ability for the athlete, the, the lift to help what I wanted to have helped wasn't going to be there. Uh, think of a power clean. If my butt shoots up and then all of, it, all of a sudden it's just a, a glorified good morning with a, with, a, with a reverse curl into it. But if I drive my hips through and get my double pull and at the top, I hit and, and pull up to my elbows, my arms or ropes, they come up and I catch in a high catch. Then I got the hips. I got everything more powerful. My core is better. And so when I do technique right, then I'm successful. So how to, how fast, if I'm not working lifts that I'm going to use at playing speed, then I'm not helping my athlete. If I work really slow all the time, I'm going to make my athlete really slow all the time. Well, you know, we always look forward to playing those, those teams with the, the big, thick athletes who are in the weight room all the time because they were refrigerators. You know what a refrigerator is. Big things it's in the corner doesn't move, all right? And so we were able to move around those guys and not have to worry about them bringing their great strength upon us because we weren't there. We, were, we had better leverage. We were underneath them because flexibility, mobility, stability, we moved better. We bent better. We got better angles of attack, and we're able to go ahead and use leverage to move greater, stronger people. All right? So how to, how fast, how much? When you do great technique at the proper speed, how much comes naturally? If you worry about how much all the time, how much they're lifting, and not worry about the functionality of it, then then you're just training power lifters. And that's what power, power lifting is. How much can I lift? All right. And we're not. We're, we're training athletes who can move. Once the ball is in play, we move. I don't even care if it's a golfer. A golfer still mobility, stability, flexibility. And, and if we're better in all those three areas with a golfer, you just made your golfer better. And on the flip side, Chris, what about challenges over your career? What are some, some of the biggest challenges you've faced and how did you grow from them? You know, I, I think you know, we, we touched on a little bit. It's, it's those athletes and those people that don't believe that they can don't believe in themselves enough to push themselves to where they can be. That's always been a huge problem I had in, in dealing with athletes and, and coaches and people in general. And, and they frustrate me the most are those people that don't become who they want to become. Hence why I wrote the book. All right. Yeah, I had a problem here. I'm going to write a book about it. This is this is how I went from a high school football coach to winning a Super Bowl. Okay. This is this is my path that I did. Here are all the mistakes I made along the way, but here are the solutions to those mistakes. Mm. Is how I wrote the book. And it's very conversationalist. 
You know, there's not, it's not a deep study. You can read it in a couple hours. It's not a, it's not, it's 200, 196 pages, but it, it's, it's not a hard read. I've been told and and I didn't make it that way. I made it. So it was like a coach or a person talking to you about their life and you learning on, okay, I understand how you did that or why you did that. And, and when you did that, this was the, the ramifications of doing that. So those are the problems I had is those people that just, just never push themselves. That's a, a good segue into the next section of the podcast, which is getting a bit of an insight into yeah you, you, the personal side, I guess, or, or but also professional. But do you have a favorite inspirational quote or, or a life motto? Oh, I've got so many, Jack. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a couple. Okay, now, now this quote has been given to a lot of people, but I think the the understanding is there, but. They say that Dalai Lama was the first one to say it, that pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. Pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. And I am a poster boy for that. I was born with physical handicaps in my, my both, both my legs. Doctors told my parents, you'll never run like a, a regular child. And I did. I ran better. I got a scholarship in college football and played football. And then I had my two front teeth knocked out, developed a speech impediment, the doctors told my mother, well, you'll never be a uh, public speaker. Well, there I am. I've, I've done that. I was diagnosed with cancer. I was given a 40% chance to survive. And 20 years later, I'm still kicking. All right. I had this huge scar on my head and changed my life to the good. And, and what I'm getting at is we all have problems. We all have issues. And, and there's, a, there's a great book out there. And write this one down. It's a man named Randy Posh, P-A-U-S-C-H, Randy Posh. And he wrote a book called The Last Lecture. And I'll give you a little background on it. Carnegie Mellon University every year has a program called The Last Lecture. And they'll bring people in and they say, okay, if this was the last lecture you're ever going to give, what lecture would you give? Well, Randy Posh was one of the professors there. And he had been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and was given just a couple months to live. And so he give, gave his actual last lecture. And the book is tremendous. Small read. I, I, I use it kind of as it really influenced the way I wrote my book as a conversationalist type book, not a deep dive into any mind-breaking ideas. And in the book, he says that the brick walls that are put in front of you are not there to stop you. They're there to see how much you really want whatever it is. And that's where it is. I could have stopped with the handicapped legs and I, I can't run. Or with my, my speech, but I can't talk. Or with the cancer, I could have given up and died. Or, or when I was given an opportunity to go be a graduate assistant for $400 a month, I, oh, I can't do that because I got car payments and everything. All right. You find a way, how badly do you want it? It's about perseverance. It's about going through life and not seeing the walls, but seeing opportunities to be successful. And so when, when people talk about the grind and, oh, I've been grind, I love the grind. Because what I do, I see a problem and I grind it down into, into gravel and I use that as foundation for my success. Mm. All right, fine. You know, and, and just tell me I can't do it. Tell me I can't do it. I was a high school football coach, Jack, and I became a Super Bowl champion. Nobody thought I could do that back in 1985. 
that in all of a sudden 2013, I would become a Super Bowl champion. But tell me I can't do it. Tell me I can't write a book. Oh, I did that. All right. And so what it is, is waiting for those people to tell you you can't do it. All right. And then go and do it. Don't even wait for them. You just go be you. Be the best you that you can be by doing what you feel like you need to do inside. I talk about my training. Hey, a lot of people are turned off by that right now. But you know what? Some people said, huh, maybe if I look into my sport, I can find that hidden key like he did to help mm-hmm. train athletes to get them better. So I have better athletes on my side of the field. So we have a chance to win. Now, when you win, some people are there for the win, but you get the, that's your vehicle to help all these people to be successful. How cool is that? You know, helping other people be successful. And that goes to, to the, the last chapter I write in, in the book. It's called Leave Your Mark. And I determine success by you accomplishing the dreams that you wanted to accomplish. That's success. When you, whatever it is, when you accomplish all your dreams and say, I, I, I'm successful. Move to significance. Significance is when you help others accomplish their dreams. So you can live a life of success and that's fine. Do all your dreams, accomplish everything you want to accomplish. But then there's a great opportunity to be significant in which you reach back and help people move past you into being even better than they thought they could be. And that's success and significance. And that's the last chapter called Leave Your Mark because I have a lot of CEOs that I talk with, that I work with as clients, and they get to that top. It's like Sir Edmund Hillary. He gets to the top of Mount Everest and he looks around and he looks at Sergey Norgan and, and, and he goes, so now what? He, he just climbed Mount Everest, the highest mountain. He can't climb a higher mountain. All right. Now he could have stopped then also. He was a beekeeper from New Zealand. All right. But he didn't. He became a philanthropist. All right. And he helped other people around the world. He kept climbing, but never again did he climb anything like that. Me, I won the Super Bowl. In, 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 in American football, there's no higher place. People say, well, college football, okay, I won that one. Well, junior, college, I won that one. High school, I won that one too. All right. And so I've been to the top of each mountain. And it didn't satisfy me. But Jack, what satisfied me was understanding why I'm doing this is helping people move along their path. And I found a way for me to help athletes get there. It was training the way that I help athletes train. Now, that was my way. Your way may be different. All right. But find your way. Find the best way possible. Don't copy anybody. Because here's the problem. That's their way. All right. Jack, are you familiar with American football, the NFL at all? Yeah, somewhat. But. Somewhat with some names. If I say Bill Belichick. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, okay, New England Patriots. Okay, and you kind of, he's a coach with New England Patriots, kind of a gruff and grumbly kind of guy. All right, then you have Nick Saban. Nick Saban, University of Alabama. I mean, he's a hard-nosed, yelling at everybody kind of person. And on the other end, you have Sean McVay, who's the NFL coach with the Los Angeles Rams, who just won the Super Bowl this year. Okay, what three things do they have in common? What one thing do they have in common, these three people? Well, they're all successful. Belichick's won, what, five Super Bowls, six Super Bowls. Saban's won several national championships. McVay won the Super Bowl this year. Are they the same people? No. Not at all. Three different people, all successful, all the top of their game, 
doing it why their way. They took their what? Their box of crayons and understood how to do it. Now, here's what they're great about. They understand their crayons. And those crayons they don't have, they go out and find people to fill in those, those areas that they don't have. Jimmy Johnson did that with the Dallas Cowboys. He brought in good, hardworking young coaches to help him be successful. And so when you're looking at them, and I talk about in the book, and I talk about my quarters, and it goes back to an Al Capone quote. Al Capone was an American gangster in the 1920s. All right. Al Capone was talking about people you trust. He said, I would rather have four quarters than 100 pennies. Think about it. Four quarters gives you a dollar. 100 pennies gives you a dollar. All right. What's the difference? Well, do you want to carry around 100 pennies, one set pieces, or four quarters? So when you have those people around you, those four quarters around you that you trust, but those four people that you bring around you need to be better than you. They need to go ahead and understand things that you don't understand. So when you have a problem, you have somebody you can go to that you can trust. And that's part of trust, too, is surrounding yourself with people who want to lift you up. Now, of my four friends, I'm in, the, I'm in their circle, but they have people, different people in their circle. We're not all just our, our own. These come from different aspects of my life that I put these four people together. And when I have a problem with this, I go to this person. When I have a problem with that, I go to this person. When I have a problem with that, because I know they're not going to be self-serving in their advice. And here's the problem, Jack. We have too many people that are behind us telling us you can't do that. Holding us back. Studies show that 80,000 messages we put in our own head every, every day. 80,000 thoughts you give to yourself. Of those 80,000, 80% of those 64,000 are negative. Yeah, well. Now, if you were around somebody who was negative around you <clears> 80% <throat> of the time, would you hang around them? <laughs> well, heck no. But you hang around yourself. It stops most people is they stop believing in who they are. And then they have the people who are just as bad as they are, who, who want to pull them back. Because if you're successful, Jack, those friends of yours who don't want to be success, don't want to work that hard, are going to look pretty bad because you became successful and they got left behind. And they're more than happy to try to pull you back with them. So you got to break away from those people and find those people that are willing to lift you. All right. And you can lift them because you understand your what? Your crayons. And, and when you understand your what, then you can go ahead and help people, gift people with that. Like I said, mine was in coaching. Mine was helping people in performance become the best athlete they could be. And so that's how, if, if you want to be a great coach, find trust, find great people that trust you and get the trust of people around you. And the most important thing is you got to trust yourself. Cut those 80,000 down or those, those 64,000 negative messages. And start looking at yourself and saying, you can do this. And we talked about positive speech. And talk to yourself in that way. You know, that's, that's, hey, it's such a tremendous way to live when you're talking to yourself, hey, this is going to be great. I can't wait. I can't wait to do this podcast today because I get to talk to somebody else and, and pass a message on to them and listen to them. Yeah, I've done a terrible job of listening. So I'm going to listen to you now. So. 
You teach me something. No, thank, thank you, Chris. I appreciate it. And the, you, can, you can tell how passionate you are about yeah, gr- people's growth, whether it be athletes or, or colleagues that you're working with. You, you've, you've mentioned throughout the interview a pet peeve is for those that aren't fulfilling their potential and, and working hard towards their strengths. Do you have any other pet peeves? Yeah, that, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Them? Oh, yeah. You, you, open the, you open that big can right there. <laughs> I, I hate people that that waste my time. Okay, think about that. How much time? Because we have different time. We're in different time zones. But see, I get twenty four hours a day. How many hours do you have in your day? Twenty four hours. Okay, okay, okay. So we have the same amount of time. It doesn't matter if you're in Australia or in the United States. We only have twenty four hours. All right. Mm-hmm. So when we allow people to steal our time. To help them from, you know, so, so you're, you're working and you have a project and you're working your ass off. And all of a sudden somebody calls up and says, hey, Jack, hey, come on over. I need you to help me move this table. You go, oh, all right, mate, I'll be over there in a minute. That's when you've got to become ruthless. I know I'm going to sound like a prick here for a minute, but I'm going to come back around to it, okay? You got to be ruthless with your time when you're on task. When you're working on that mission that you've got to get done because it's set in front of you, then you can't let anybody steal any of that time. All right. When you have your task completed, sure. And you could say, hey, yeah, four o'clock, I can be there. All right. And I'll help you at four o'clock. Now, why is that person needing your help? Well, they looked at the job and they could move it themselves, but it's going to take twice as long. So they can save themselves 20 minutes by having you come over and help them. Mm. So they're, they're willing to steal your time, but not use theirs. All right. So we've got to, a pet peeve I have is people that want to steal your time. As a, as a strength coach, I understood I needed this much time to get my training done so the athlete could do what they needed to do on the field. All right. You're, you're, and I'm, I'm big on analogies. You understand Gordon Ramsay, right? The world class chef, right? All right. So we went to Vegas for my birthday and we went to Hell's Kitchen and had, had his beef Wellington. Oh, oh, amazing. It was like butter. All right. It was amazing. Now I could imagine the pastry chef coming up to Gordon and saying, hey, Gordon, do you mind pulling your, your, your beef wellington out 20 minutes early because I want to go ahead and try this new thing. Try this new thing. Now, he understands I've got to have this much time to make the perfect beef wellington in the world. How would he respond? Because he's going to guard his time ruthlessly because his name is on the restaurant and on the menu, and this is his you know, beef wellington, all right? So he knows it. So as a strength coach, you need this much time. And here comes a, a physio or a trainer, we call him. Hey, Jack, I need about 15 minutes with the players because I want to try this test with them. Okay, hold on. My training program has already proven to win Super Bowls. But you want me to go ahead and give you 20 minutes of my time so you can try something to help us win a Super Bowl? Okay, you get that. 
you want to try something to help us win a Super Bowl when my program has already helped us win a Super Bowl. So you want to help make my Beef Wellington better when it's already the best Beef Wellington in the world. So those people are out there trying to steal your time, trying to do their own thing, all right? So when I'm talking about being a professional, be nice to them, but don't allow people to steal your time in your life. Don't allow people to steal your time. All right, my, my most important asset is my family. Number one, most important thing, okay? And so I always made sure I had time with my family. Now, behind the curtain, I was with my family physically, all right? We may be watching a movie, okay? But in my head, I was going through training routines of how I can fit the right things in the right place at the right time. So that's where my passion was, was that I was using the time I had to do that while I was watching the movie, which means I can multitask, which most guys can't do, but I can. I could watch a movie and go through my training routine and find the best way to help my athletes be successful. And we traveled, you know, with my family. We traveled to, to Europe. We traveled to China. We traveled to Japan. And I was still able to be successful because on those plane trips, I would be working on my program. That's where passion is. Passion is an all-encompassing thing that you constantly are doing it. We don't take days off. This is a Sunday for me. I have an opportunity to talk with Jack. I have an opportunity to talk with those who are listening to help you understand where I came from. Now, if you think I'm full of smoke, fine. That's your opinion, that you have that right. And you think you got something going? then, you know, get a hold of me and we'll talk about it more. But the thing is, I needed to help Jack with his podcast today, and I want to help athletes. And so it's a Sunday. It's okay. I went to church. I went to breakfast with my family. My family went to the grocery store. Boom, I'm here talking with you. I found this time, and this is my passion to talk with you. It's a good segue. What is your take on days off and if you've had one or when you have one, what is your favorite thing to do? <laughs> I don't. I, you know, I'm constantly thinking. So I'm a big reader. And so I read four or five books at a time. I get bored. And so I'll, you know, I'll read for 30 minutes, get bored with that, and read another and get bored. And, and then I'll go back. You know, I need to go back to that first one. So I'll have four or five books open at a time. And so I'm, I'm a big reader with that. You know, we travel quite a bit. Like I said, we've been, we've been all over Europe. We've been to Japan and China, you know, and, and the Great Wall of China behind me. So, you know, that was, that was a great trip. But, you know, what I wanted to do with that was make sure my son's bucket list was full before he got to 18 years old. So he had to go ahead and make his own bucket list because we did all the stuff. You know, when we went to the Coliseum, we went to, the, went to Paris, we went to London, you know, went to Japan, went to China. So, you know, you know. Our, our next trip is Egypt, the, the Holy Land, and Greece is our next trip. Yeah, so I can get that. He's 23. He'll be 23. But, but you know, uh, but it's his bucket list. That's what he wanted to do now. So this is his bucket list. So this is what, that's what I get to do. But while I'm traveling all that time, I'm reading. I'm constantly working. Jack, there's always a way to do things better. You just have to put your mind to it and work on how to make it better. My world right now is full of content. I am, I am writing content for my website, and I'm going to go ahead and plug myself. It's www.thecoachcarlisle.com, T-H-E-C-O-A-C-H. Carlisle is C-A-R-L-I-S-L-E. 
thecoachcarlisle.com. Thecoachcarlisle.com. It's on there. I have blogs on. Yeah, I have the ability to contact me. I have the ability to buy my book on there. You can get it on Amazon. You can get it off the website. If you get it off the website, it'll be signed. Okay. So, but uh, thecoachcarlisle.com is my website. And so I'm putting content up there every day. I'm on all the social medias, the Instagram, the Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and it's usually the Coach Carlisle or at Coach Carlisle. And you can find me there. And so I'm on all four of those. I haven't been, but my my publicist said I needed to be on there for the, you know, so I'm having fun with that. I put something out, you know, every, every Monday I have uh, a new blog that goes out. And then every day of the week, I have something that goes on and my, my web person does that. But everything that's written is from me. I write everything. I don't have, I don't outsource any of my writing. So. Wow, fantastic. That's a good segue into the final question, Chris. What are you excited about for 2022? What's on the horizon for you, mate? Yeah, I got a lot of speaking dates. And so I'm excited to get out. You know, finally, we're able to get away from all the stuff in the past and get out and get into groups again and talk. I'm, I'm not a big, I don't think I come across in Zoom like I do in public. And so I'm, I'm the kind of speaker that you're going you're gonna to feel me, you're going to see me, we're going to look. And I, what, I, what I find with Zoom is I get a lot of people doing this. Okay, so I get a lot of this this forehead and at the top of their head when they're looking at their their phone while, I, while I'm talking. But when when I'm out and speaking, you know, it's just I love that. So you know, the opportunity to get out and and talk about my book and and uh, you know, just do that. That's what 2022 is for me. So just excited about that. How about you, Jack? What are you excited about? We got a baby girl due in three weeks, so excited about that. And then finals. So in Australian rules football, where deep into the finals campaign. So the home and away season's a long one. It's 22 rounds. And then it goes into a, a, a four-week finals, which we're in week one this week. So hoping that both teams that I've involved in, the semi-professional team and the professional team, make the grand final and, and get the win. We were premiers last year and the VFL due to COVID, the semi-professionals, was, there was no finals due to COVID. So uh, yeah, the, the boys are up and about and hopefully we can get a a premiership, we call it, or, or championship for the great, international great, business. Great. Let me change one word in there. You said a dirty word, and it was hope. All right? And I always say you can poop in one hand and you can hope in the other and see which one fills up faster, okay? Stop <laughs> hoping about it. Just get it done, all right? Stop hoping. Do what it's going to take to get the premiership. And that's what I'm, I, I push all the time is, is you know, people can, can hope to win the lottery, but you got to go out and actually buy the ticket. To win the lottery. So go do it. Go go do it. And then you have the chance to win the lottery. And if you have, if your number doesn't come up, hey, you did everything you could to win. All right. So stop hoping in life. All right. Start doing. So that, oh, that's where I'll leave you in 2022. Good luck with your daughter. All right. Thank uh, you. Be a, be a great parent. Be there for them. Uh, of course, while you're there with them. You can still be working on the training program, okay? <laughs> they can it. never read your mind. <laughs> uh, coaches are alike. That's it. I've got amen. That, uh, amen. The passionate that ones are. Sure. The, pa- <laughs> the passionate ones are okay. Some coaches take days off. You know, yeah. I want to play them. When they take a day off, I want to play them. All right. <laughs> if they think they're that good, they can take a day off. Good. All right. So, yeah, more of them. Anyway, nah, very good. Yeah, thank you so much, Chris. It's been inspiring, and thank you for sharing your story. Like you mentioned, the the you know, what's worked for you, and I'm a big believer that success leaves clues. So it's been 
great to have you on and, and share exactly that, you know, what's worked over your career from a professional point of view, but also writing a book and all the amazing things that you've done. So I really appreciate your time coming on and, and no doubt for the listeners that have tuned in live, if you tuned in halfway through, there was gems from literally the first 20 seconds as Chris started talking. So make sure to watch the YouTube channel. It, it will be live as soon as we end this recording and then we'll release the podcast next Tuesday. That will be Monday for the international listeners or those in, in America. Our next live chat will be with Kelvin Giles. He will be 3.30 p.m. this Friday. That's the second Australian Eastern Standard Time. And you can subscribe to our YouTube channel to, to tune in for that one. And I'll, I'll see you guys in the Academy. Thanks again, Chris. And you mentioned Instagram, LinkedIn. You're on all the socials. You've got a blog post. Yep. You've got a book that people can buy on Amazon. We'll add all those links. I know a lot of podcasters listen while driving their car. So obviously don't touch your phone. We'll add all the links in the show notes <laughs> so you can access great. all those. And uh, where's the best place for, for the coaches that want to follow up and, and ask some more questions, mate? Maybe there's something there that they they want to follow you up that you've mentioned today. Yeah. Get, place to get, get, on the, get on the website. The website will we'll get them and I answer all those. I, I have control of the email there and, and it's info at thecoachcarlisle.com and I'll answer anything, you know, whatever they need to know. I'll get into it and talk with them on the way where we need. Okay. Very good. Yeah, make sure to take that take that up, guys. It's an invaluable resource. And yeah, thanks again, Chris, for, for jumping on the podcast. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Have a great day now. If you enjoyed this episode and want even more, our academy is for you. The Prepare Like a Pro Academy is a platform that hosts exclusive features and bonus content, such as a Q&A segment aimed at getting to know the guests on a more personal level. Here's an example with Emily Meehan, head sports dietitian of Collingwood Football Club. What are things that, that fire you up? Oh, this one is always, uh, I suppose it is, um, it'll be topical for most people, I think, but staying in your lane. And I yep. often find that with nutrition, everyone eats, so everyone has an opinion. And I think that's what really gets me fired up um, because so many people try and provide nutrition advice based on their end of one experience when they did intermittent fasting or keto or whatever it might be and then game changes yeah, game changes, whatever that might be and look it probably keeps me in a job but that it does drive me insane because yeah. sometimes the information can be so detrimental um, and opposite to what I've been working with my athlete or athletes and you know and because they hear it on someone's socials or through a documentary it unravels everything that i've been working with an athlete for yeah yeah another feature of our academy is the opportunity each week to join myself as co-host on the prepare like a pro live chat show here's an example with academy member rama davies the friendly conditioning coach at the box hill Hawks. Welcome, Rama, to the chat. Uh, Rama has also worked at, at Box Hill, or currently he's working at Box Hill Hawks with us, awesome. so he's another Box Hill man uh, in the strength and conditioning department. So I'll handle it over to you, Rama, to, to ask you a question, mate. Thanks for joining us. Excellent. Thanks, Jack. And, yeah, thanks, um, thanks, Sam, for the chat. It was uh, I found it to be really insightful, plenty of gems in there, um, and I enjoyed it a lot. Um, mate, my, my question to you was, you spoke a, a, quite a bit about, um, perspective during that chat. Um, and I was wondering what are some of the things that you either know or, um, do physically that 
um, you wish you either knew or did uh, back at the beginning of your career? Uh, what are some of those things? Mm, yeah, good question. Um, yeah, so I suppose with perspective on life, um, that sort of point, um, it yeah certainly yeah has been massive for me now, and and didn't probably have that as much um, when I was younger. Um, I suppose one thing I might mention is is gratitude. I spend a lot of my mm. time um, doing a lot of gratitude exercises, listening to podcasts, doing a, a journal every day just a bit to say what I'm grateful for, sort of three things. And um, that's a fantastic way that I've been able to, yeah, like reset and, and just kind of gain that gratitude and perspective about, you know, that there is more to life than football or, you know, might be whatever as an SNC coach, you know, if something's you having a hard time, um, it can be massive with just yeah opening your eyes a little bit and losing that sort of tunnel vision or being stuck in that in that work bubble. Um, yeah. So that's that's been huge. Um, I think I wish back then when I was younger I asked more questions and was a bit more open to different things. Mm-hmm. I think I was a bit single minded back then and um, you know thought there was one way of doing things and um, if I kind of didn't have that fear of you know asking a silly question or fear of judgment it would have got me a lot further and i probably would have learned a lot quicker um and yeah. and yeah like just yeah being open to sort of different things um because you never know what you might find it's just yeah there's so many people like great people out there knowledgeable people to learn off and there's plenty more where that came from if you would like to learn more then enter patreon.com forward slash prepare like a pro or head to the link in our show notes Thank you for listening to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. If you like this episode, it'd be a massive help if you could like, follow, rate, give a review, or even share with your mates. The show is recorded in Melbourne, Australia. Be sure to follow our Instagram page for all updates on our latest and greatest. If you would like to get in touch to suggest a guest or advertise with the Prepare Like a Pro podcast, please email me at jack at preparelikeapro.com. Thanks so much for tuning in.